Chapter Ten, Part Two of the Teeth of the Tiger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Teeth of the Tiger by Maurice Leblanc. Chapter Ten. Gaston Sauverand explains. Gaston Sauverand made an effort which contracted every muscle of his face to recover the coolness that was gradually leaving him. He succeeded in doing so, but his voice, nevertheless, remained tremulous, and the fever with which he was consumed shook his frame in a manner which he was unable to conceal. He continued, At the corner of the street down which I turned after outdistancing the prefect's men on the boulevard Richard Wallace, Florence saved me just as I believed that all was lost. Florence had known everything for a fortnight past. She learned the news of the double murder from the papers, those papers which she used to read out to you, and which you discussed with her and it was by being with you, by listening to you, that she acquired the opinion which everything that happened tended to confirm, the opinion that Marie's enemy, her only enemy, was yourself. "'But why? Why?' "'Because she saw you at work,' exclaimed Sauverin. "'Because it was more to your interest than to that of any one else that first Marie and then I should not come between you and the Mornington inheritance. And lastly—' "'What?' Gaston Sauverin hesitated and then said plainly, lastly because she knew your real name beyond a doubt and because she felt that arsène lupin was capable of anything they were both silent and their silence at such a moment was impressive to a degree florence remained impassive under don luis perenna's gaze and he was unable to discern on her sealed face any of the feelings with which she must needs be stirred gaston sauverin continued it was against arsène lupin therefore that florence marie's terrified friend engaged in the struggle it was to unmask Lupin that she wrote, or rather inspired the article of which you found the original in a ball of string. It was Lupin whom she spied upon day by day in this house. It was Lupin whom she heard one morning telephoning to Sergeant Mazuru and rejoicing in my imminent arrest. It was to save me from Lupin that she let down the iron curtain in front of him at the risk of an accident, and took a taxi to the corner of the boulevard Richard Wallace, where she arrived too late to warn me, as the detectives had already entered my house, but in time to screen me from their pursuit." Her mistrust and terror-stricken hatred of you were told to me in an instant, Sauverin declared. During the twenty minutes which we employed in throwing our assailants off the scent, she hurriedly sketched the main lines of the business, and described to me in a few words the leading part which you were playing in it, and we then and there prepared a counter-attack upon you, so that you might be suspected of complicity. While I was sending a message to the prefect of police, Florence went home and hid under the cushions of your sofa the end of the stick which I had kept in my hand without thinking. It was an ineffective parry and missed its aim, but the fight had begun, and I threw myself into it headlong. Monsieur, to understand my actions thoroughly, you must remember that I was a student, a man leading a solitary life, but also an ardent lover. I would have spent all my life in work, asking no more from fate than to see Marie at her window from time to time at night. But once she was being persecuted, another man arose within me, a man of action, bungling certainly, and inexperienced, but a man who was ready to stick at nothing and who, not knowing how to save Marie Fauville, had no other object before him than to do away with that enemy of Marie's, to whom he was entitled to ascribe all the misfortunes that had befallen the woman he loved. This started the series of my attempts upon your life. Brought into your house, concealed in Florence's own rooms, I tried, unknown to her, that I swear, to poison you. He paused for an instant to mark the effect of his words, then went on. Her reproaches— her abhorrence of such an act would perhaps have moved me, but I repeat, I was mad, quite mad, and your death seemed to me to imply Marie's safety. And one morning on the boulevard Suchet, where I had followed you, I fired a revolver at you. The same evening your motor-car, tampered with by myself, remember Florence's rooms are close to the garage, 
carried you, I hope, to your death, together with Sergeant Mazeroux, your confederate. That time again you escaped my vengeance. But an innocent man, the chauffeur who drove you, paid for you with his life, and Florence's despair was such that I had to yield to her entreaties and lay down my arms. I myself, terrified by what I had done, shattered by the remembrance of my two victims, changed my plans and thought only of saving Marie by contriving her escape from prison. I am a rich man. I lavished money upon Marie's warders, without, however, revealing my intentions. I entered into relations with the prison tradesmen and the staff of the infirmary, and every day, having procured a card of admission as a law reporter, I went to the law courts, to the examining magistrate's corridor, where I hoped to meet Marie, to encourage her with a look, a gesture, perhaps to slip a few words of comfort into her hand. Sauvrat moved closer to Don Luis. Her martyrdom continued. You struck her a most terrible blow with that mysterious business of Hippolyte Fauville's letters. What did those letters mean? Where did they come from? Were we not entitled to attribute the whole plot to you, to you who introduced them into the horrible struggle? Florence watched you, I may say, night and day. We sought for a clue, a glimmer of light in the darkness. Well, yesterday morning Florence saw Sergeant Mazeroux arrive. She could not overhear what he said to you, but she caught the name of a certain Langenot and the name of Damigny the village where Langenot lived. She remembered that old friend of Hippolyte Fauville's. Were the letters not addressed to him, and was it not in search of him that you were going off in the motor with Sergeant Mazeroux? Half an hour later we were in the train for Alençon. A carriage took us from the station to just outside Damigny, where we made our inquiries with every possible precaution. On learning what you must also know, that Langenot was dead, we resolved to visit his place, and we had succeeded in effecting an entrance when Florence saw you in the grounds. Wishing at all costs to avoid a meeting between you and myself, she dragged me across the lawn and behind the bushes. You followed us, however, and when a barn appeared in sight she pushed one of the doors which half opened and let us through. We managed to slip quickly through the lumber in the dark and knocked up against a ladder. This we climbed and reached a loft in which we took shelter. You entered at that moment. You know the rest, how you discovered the two hanging skeletons, how your attention was drawn to us by an imprudent movement of Florence your attack, to which I replied by brandishing the first weapon with which chance provided me. Lastly, our flight through the window and the roof, under the fire of your revolver. We were free, but in the evening, in the train, Florence fainted. While bringing her to, I perceived that one of your bullets had wounded her in the shoulder. The wound was slight and did not hurt her, but it was enough to increase the extreme tension of her nerves. When you saw us, at the Le Mans station, wasn't it? She was asleep with her head on my shoulder." Don Luis had not once interrupted the latter part of this narrative, which was told in a more and more agitated voice, and quickened by an accent of profound truth. Thanks to a superhuman effort of attention, he noted Sauvrin's least words and actions in his mind, and as these words were uttered and these actions performed, he received the impression of another woman who rose up beside the real Florence, a woman unspotted, and innocent of all the shame which he had attributed to her on the strength of events. Nevertheless, he did not yet give in. How could Florence possibly be innocent? No, no, the evidence of his eyes which had seen, and the evidence of his reason which had judged, both rebelled against any such contention. He would not admit that Florence could suddenly be different from what she really was to him, a crafty, cunning, cruel, bloodthirsty monster. No, no, the man was lying with infernal cleverness. He put things with a skill amounting to genius, until it was no longer possible to differentiate between the false and the true, or to distinguish the light from the darkness. He was lying, he was lying! 
and yet how sweet were the lies he told how beautiful was that imaginary florence the florence compelled by destiny to commit acts which she loathed but free of all crime free of remorse humane and pitiful with her clear eyes and her snow-white hands and how good it was to yield to this fantastic dream gaston sauverand was watching the face of his former enemy standing close to don luis his features lit up with the expression of feelings and passions which he no longer strove to check he asked in a low voice, "'You believe me, don't you?' "'No, I don't,' said Perenna, hardening himself to resist the man's influence. "'You must!' cried Sauverand with a fierce outburst of violence. "'You must believe in the strength of my love. It is the cause of everything. My hatred for you comes only from my love. Marie is my life. If she were dead, there would be nothing for me to do but die. All oh, this morning when I read in the papers that the poor woman had opened her veins—' and through your fault, after Hippolyte's letters accusing her. I did not want to kill you so much as to inflict upon you the most barbarous tortures. My poor Marie, what a martyrdom she must be enduring! As you were not back, Florence and I wandered about all morning to have news of her, first around the prison, then to the police office and the law courts, and it was there, in the magistrate's corridor, that I saw you. At that moment you were mentioning Marie Fauvel's name to a number of journalists, and you told them that Marie Fauvel was innocent, and you informed them of the evidence which you possessed in Marie's favour. My hatred ceased then and there, monsieur. In one second the enemy had become the ally, the master to whom one kneels. So you had had the wonderful courage to repudiate all your work, and to devote yourself to Marie's rescue. I ran off, trembling with joy and hope, and as I joined Florence I shouted, Marie is saved, he proclaims her innocent, I must see him and speak to him. We came back here. Florence refused to lay down her arms, and begged me not to carry out my plan before your new attitude in the case was confirmed by deeds. I promised everything that she asked, but my mind was made up, and my will was still further strengthened when I had read your declaration in the newspaper. I would place Marie's fate in your hands, whatever happened, and without an hour's delay I waited for your return and came up here. He was no longer the same man who had displayed such coolness at the commencement of the interview. Exhausted by his efforts, and by a struggle that had lasted for weeks, costing him so much fruitless energy, he was now trembling and clinging to Don Luis, with one of his knees on the chair beside which Don Luis was standing, he stammered, "'Save her, I, I implore you. You have it in your power. Yes, you can do anything. I, I learned to know you in fighting you. There was more than your genius defending you against me. There is a luck that protects you. You are different from other men.' Why, the mere fact of your not killing me at once, though I had pursued you so savagely, the fact of your listening to the inconceivable truth of the innocence of all three of us, and accepting it as admissible, surely these constitute an unprecedented miracle. While I was waiting for you, and preparing to speak to you, I received an intuition of it all, he exclaimed. I saw clearly that the man who was proclaiming Marie's innocence, with nothing to guide him but his reason, I saw that this man alone could save her, and that he would save her. Oh, I beseech you, save her, and save her at once, otherwise it will be too late. In a few days Marie will have ended her life. She cannot go on living in prison. You see, she means to die. No obstacle can prevent her. Can anyone be prevented from committing suicide? And how horrible if she were to die! Oh, if the law requires a criminal, I will confess anything that I am asked to. I will joyfully accept every charge and pay every penalty, provided that Marie is free. Save her! I did not know, I do not know yet, the best thing to be done. Save her from prison and death. Save her, for God's sake, save her. Tears flowed down his anguish-stricken face. 
Florence also was crying, bowed down with sorrow, and Perenna suddenly felt the most terrible dread steal over him. Although ever since the beginning of the interview a fresh conviction had gradually been mastering him, it was only as it were a glance that he became aware of it. Suddenly he perceived that his belief in Sauvran's words was unrestricted, and that Florence was perhaps not the loathsome creature that he had had the right to think, but a woman whose eyes did not lie, and whose face and soul were alike beautiful. Suddenly he learned that the two people before him, as well as Marie Fauville, for love of whom they had fought so unskilful a fight, were imprisoned in an iron circle which their efforts would not succeed in breaking, and that circle, traced by an unknown hand, he, Parena, had drawn tighter around them with the most ruthless determination. "'If only it is not too late!' he muttered. He staggered under the shock of the sensations and ideas that crowded upon him. Everything clashed in his brain with tragic violence. Certainty, joy, dismay, despair, fury. He was struggling in the clutches of the most hideous nightmare, and he already seemed to see a detective's heavy hand descending on Florence's shoulder. "'Come away! Come away!' he cried, starting up in alarm. "'It is madness to remain!' "'But the house is surrounded,' Sauvran objected. "'And then? Do you think that I will allow for a second? "'No, no, come. We must fight side by side. "'I shall still entertain some doubts. That is certain. "'You must destroy them, and we will save Madame Fauville.' "'But the detectives round the house. We'll manage them. "'Weber, the deputy chief? "'He's not here, and as long as he's not here I'll take everything on myself. "'Come, follow me, but at some little distance. "'When I give the signal, and not till then.' "'He drew the bolt and turned the handle of the door.' At that moment someone knocked. It was the butler. "'Well?' asked Don Luis. "'Why am I disturbed?' "'The deputy chief detective, Monsieur Weber, is here, sir.'" End of chapter 10